Welcome to the podcast for the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva. UUSG is an inclusive community, one that draws wisdom from all the world's religions, balanced with the insights of modern science. We seek to build a diverse, beloved community within our virtual walls and hope to inspire and accompany one another as we act for peace and justice in our larger world. The Reverend Scott Hall is a minister in the UU tradition. Coming from a career in information technology, Reverend Scott attended seminary to pursue lifelong interests in what he calls life's big questions. He joined UUSG as the settled minister in 2020. Jeremy was one of my best friends growing up. We were also the only non-Catholic kids in the neighborhood, and I suppose that meant something to both of us, though I don't remember us talking about it all that much. I do, however, remember him talking about Hanukkah, about lamps, oil, spinning tops, but mostly I remember his stories about presents, about how I and all of our Catholic friends only got to open presents on one day, but Jeremy got to open presents for eight days long. I remember this being revelatory, maybe even awe-inspiring. All of my friends concluded with all of the weight and authority that a group of middle-aged kids, middle school-aged kids might be able to muster that this eight-day thing was clearly the superior approach. Eight days versus one? Come on, not even close. Judaism, one. Everyone else, zero. Personally, I really liked this story. Eight days. I remember lobbying my parents for an extension on our own tradition. In my proposal, and in a blatant attempt to make the idea irresistible, I even chopped the potential eight days of giving down to seven. A huge concession in order to bring forward the glory of what would thereafter be known as Christmas week in the Hull household. I was not successful. Additional plans reduced the expected days of Bonanza down to five, the working days of Christmas, to three, the weekend of Christmas, but no. My parents eventually did agree to let us kids open one gift on Christmas Eve, and I chose to take that as a win. Scott won, families celebrating regular Christmas, zero. Booyah! Jeremy and others did finally ruin Hanukkah for me, and I eventually and regretfully retired the idea of the wild bacchanalia that I had been led to believe that my Jewish friends and family members experienced every December. I was told that the point wasn't gifts at all, but that a menorah was to be lit, set in a window where it could be seen, a silent testimony. Everyone told me that Hanukkah was, at best, a minor holiday not all that important, a kind of religious appendix. I freely admit that I, like many Americans, am a bit biased when it comes to December holidays. There will be gifts, 
is a battle cry that has rung from Main Street to Wall Street, one that has remained equally heedless of need or want or capacity for my entire life. Likewise, the great buying spree has been the lamentation of both the religiously pious and the critic of consumer culture for just as long. Maybe it was inevitable that Hanukkah got swallowed up in my, in my adolescent imagination. This is a good point to pause. And in the spirit of my teacher, the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss, the third of Trinity Church here in Chicago, I'm going to remove the Zoom spotlight for a moment. And what I want you to do is hit the button in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, the one that says View. And I want you to pull that menu down and click on Gallery. You'll know it's right because the screen will fill up with a ton of little boxes like we're contestants on a game show. Ready? Excellent. Go ahead and click that. Lots and lots of windows should pop open. Okay, now, looking at all of those faces, your community, I want you to repeat after me. Neighbor, oh neighbor, we are here to bring light. Amen, and thank you. So today, I want to tell you some stories. In some ways, they are the same story. In other ways, they are definitely not. But what I can say is that they are important stories. Stories about freedom, monsters, and a miracle. It starts with something like this. Once upon a time, there was a revolt, and the invaders were driven out of Jerusalem, and the Jewish people once again reclaimed their right to practice their faith without fear. The priests went to the temple, the one and only seat of Jewish, traditional Jewish practice, to rededicate and reconsecrate that temple to the worship of God. Part of that consecration, which is what the word Hanukkah means, includes relighting the eternal flame with a special sanctified oil. But all of the special oil had been lost or ruined in the war, all except one small jar. And that jar held only enough oil to light the great lamp for a single day. Here was the problem. Once lit, the flame was not supposed to burn out. And there was no more oil to keep it lit. I mean, they could certainly make more, but since they were all soldiers, fresh from battle, practice and tradition said they had to undergo a necessary purification ritual before they did that. And that ritual took seven days. So they did what they could. They set the temple to rights, lit the lamp anyway, and waited. And the lamp that should have burned only one day instead burned for eight. It was a miracle. A little one, but a miracle. And that is the story of Hanukkah, the end. It's a beautiful story. It's inspiring. It's poetic. It's the story I grew up with. But what if I told you there was a story beneath 
the story of Hanukkah, an older story, a hidden one, perhaps even dangerous. Maybe you've heard this one, though. It goes like this. Antiochus IV was the king of Syria and Palestine. He was the great-great-grandson of one of Alexander the Great's generals, and was the ruler of one of the four Greek kingdoms that were formed at Alexander's death. Now, after a particularly grim battle with the neighboring Egyptian kingdom, there was a rumor going around that Antiochus had died. And this rumor inspired some Jewish loyalists to rise up and reclaim the city of Jerusalem. Not surprisingly, this enraged the very much not-dead King Antiochus, who promptly marched in and crushed the rebellion. He was so angry that he outlawed Judaism itself, forbidding its practice and requiring all Jews to convert and perform sacrifices to Greek gods. The Jewish temple, the seat of religious power and authority of the Jewish religion, was made over into a temple worshiping the Greek god Zeus. Antiochus's officials, they spread throughout the entire land, spreading that news and the new requirements. But they eventually met with a local Jewish country priest named Mattathias, the Hasmonean. Mattathias, like everyone else, was ordered to fulfill his duty to the state and make a sacrifice to Zeus. Instead of doing that, though, the old priest attacked and killed the Syrian official, shouting, quote, let everyone who is zealous for the law and who stands by the covenant follow me. This is from 1 Maccabees, second chapter, verse 27. Mattathias and his sons, his five sons, there were five of them, became known as the Maccabees after the Hebrew word makaba or hammer. After oh, over several years, the Maccabees and their followers were surprisingly successful in defeating the vastly larger and vastly more powerful enemy army, eventually driving the Syrian Greeks not only out of the city of Jerusalem, but also out of the whole region of Judea. And it was a hasty and timely alliance with a rising Roman Empire that neatly prevented reprisals from the Syrian Greeks and secured Judean independence. The kingdom and the temple were restored, and in rather short, short order, the enemies, the mighty Syrian kingdom itself, collapsed and vanished from the earth. Hanukkah, called the Festival of Lights, was the annual celebration that was then ordered by the descendants of, the, of Mattathias, then become the Hasmonean dynasty. And they did this as a triumphal commemoration of Jewish liberation and restoration. This is a powerful story, a story of heroism, patriotism, military daring, and unexpected victory against unbelievable odds. It's a story many UUs today can get excited about a story of justice, the righteous overthrow of oppression, a violent rejection of apathy, a successful rebellion against overwhelming cultural norms. So why don't we know that story? Why is that hero's tale not front and center in the Jewish telling of the story of Hanukkah? 
Why is Hanukkah only a minor holiday? It's interesting that First and Second Maccabees, the books where these tales are told, aren't included in the Hebrew Bible at all. The rabbis certainly knew of them, but they chose to ignore them. In fact, the only reason we know of these books today is that they were included as apocrypha by the Roman Catholic Church in some versions of their Bible. No, when we talk about the Hanukkah story today, it's not the Maccabees and the liberation of the Jewish state that we remember. We remember the oil. What the Hanukkah is going on here? Before we go any further, I should note that I am not a rabbi nor a rabbinic scholar. However, I do have some on speed dial. Regardless, please remember that we are now playing tourists in a tradition that is at a fundamental level based on arguments and counter-arguments. So with the appropriate pinch of flaky salt, I have some more stories, stories that may explain things. The first goes like this. The Romans. That is actually the long and the short of it the Romans. In a way that's really difficult to do justice to today, the Romans were just terrifying. A Jewish rebellion in 66 of the Common Era, almost definitely inspired by the stories of the Maccabees, led to the complete and utter destruction of the entire city of Jerusalem and the Jewish temple. We're talking completely gone. And according to the historian Josephus, Aside from the remains of the outer wall, the Romans left, and I'm quoting, no obvious indications that a city had once existed on that spot. And the horror of that outcome was multiplied by the murder or enslavement of the entire population, killed outright or sent to the gladiator pits, a population which Josephus had described as over a million people. When the Romans got mad, they got thorough. It's not hard to imagine that those early rabbis, their temple-centered faith in ruins, attempted, attempting to hold together the tatters of tradition and just survive while under Roman imperial rule. These were not going to be people telling stories about successful Jewish uprisings, the inevitable overthrow of their imperial masters, and the destruction of those masters at the hands of an indignant god and his chosen war leader. Rome wasn't going to have any of that. So that's why the rabbis let it go. The story was lost to trauma and time. Maybe. Maybe that's true. Here's another story. It goes like this. The Hasmoneans were very short-lived and a particularly fraught dynasty. They brought Judea to the notice of the great Roman beast, and for a hundred or so years that they ruled, they were pushed, pulled, manipulated, played off, positioned, suckered, and to the surprise of absolutely no student of history, eventually betrayed by their great Roman friends, friends who ultimately destroyed the temple itself and with it the known Jewish way of life. This is perhaps, that is perhaps the quote, hero story told in First and Second Maccabees was just not all it was cracked up to be. The distance of a couple of centuries, a few ill-advised attempts to follow in those footsteps, that made the Maccabees an exceedingly poor example to lift up, and that was why it was allowed to fade away. Maybe. 
Here's another story. It goes like this. The Hasmoneans were just another false start and a long string of false starts condemned by the Hebrew, Hebrew prophets from Samuel on down. They, were, they clearly did a good and righteous thing, freeing Judea and cleansing and rededicating the temple. But since they did not follow the commands of the Torah, their good deeds were only ever to be transitory, illusory, and hollow. That is, the Hasmoneans didn't follow the law. They were not of the house of David, yet they claimed the kingship. They were not of the house of Zadok, the high priest during the time of King David, yet they claimed the priesthood as well. After their good deed, the law required them to hand over power and authority of the state and the church, and they did not do so. Therefore, it was clearly God's judgment against them when they were eventually murdered by one of their own slaves, a Roman puppet called Herod. This last story may explain why 1st and 2nd Maccabees never made it into the Jewish canon. And maybe that's it. But I have another story, and it goes like this. The Maccabean Revolt occurred at the center of a Jewish civil war. On the one hand, upper-class urban Jews were enthusiastic about embracing Greek culture. These urban Jews welcomed Hellenization. They gave their children Greek names, encouraged them to participate in Greek athletic competitions, and more. That faction wanted Jerusalem declared a polis, a Greek city-state, with all of the cultural and economic advantages that that would bring. And on the other hand, rural agricultural Jews feared that Judaism and the Torah were being corrupted by G Greek influences, and all was at risk of being lost. Hellenization was a cultural threat to the continued existence of Judaism and had to be yanked out, root and branch. The Hasmoneans belonged to that latter group. They were zealots, Zionists, militant nationalists, and they advanced a very traditional, almost fundamentalist kind of Judaism, and they did so at the edge of a sword. Most damningly, they attacked and murdered not just the outsider threat, but also those urban Jews that they felt embraced Hellenistic culture. And that included the Pharisees, the spiritual ancestors of the very rabbis now sitting in judgment. History is not always written by the victors. Sometimes it's written by the survivors. And the rabbis were the spiritual heart of those survivors. So what to do with the Maccabees? They were military thugs. They had murdered Jews. They were monsters. Celebrating them was inappropriate. Even telling their story brought up all sorts of uncomfortable questions. But while erasing the Maccabees may have been impossible, the stories obviously had already been written and were being widely shared by Christians. Perhaps reframing that story was possible. Now, the books of the Maccabees describe the rededication of the temple with a practice that mimicked the great festival of Sukkot. While the temple stood, Sukkot was an important pilgrimage festival, one that featured eight days 
of prayer and ritual. And these are the same ceremonies that the Maccabees chose to follow when they performed that first Hanukkah. It isn't until the Babylonian Talmud, codified almost 600 years after the books of the Maccabees were written, that we hear anything at all about the miracle of holy oil. Yet it was by introducing that story that the rabbis were able to de-emphasize the military aspects of the story and recenter the awe and wonder of faith. And that is what they did. Well, maybe probably. In the end, what we find, what I found, was that the story of Hanukkah, and all the layers of it, was a story about freedom and monsters and miracle. It's a beautiful story. It's complicated, ambivalent, and deeply human. One hung with a rather uncomfortable warning sign. As my friend, the Rabbi Fulberg of Beth Israel explained to me, as much as we may feel ambivalent about the Maccabean heroes of the story, and from a progressive Jewish perspective, their fundamentalist tend tendencies are a little unsavory, if the Hellenized Jewish assimilationists had had their way, that would have been the end of the Jewish history, pretty much. If Rabbi Fulberg is right, without the Hasmoneans, there would have been no Latter-day rabbis faced with the question of what to do with the Hasmonean le legacy. If Judaism had been lost, assimilated into the mainstream Greek culture over the hundred or so years before the birth of Jesus, would Christianity have happened? And not to be too self-centered about it, but without Christianity, would Unitarian Universalism have happened? To be even more blunt, the entire history of the Western world might have been very different if it were not for a murderously violent and thoroughly fundamentalist rebellion. And honestly, I'm not sure what to do with that. It's small wonder that the early rabbis weren't all that sure either. As we turn to the close, I want to mention one more footnote to this definitely not-so-minor Jewish story, and it's this. The irony of Hanukkah is that a holiday that commemorates a crucial victory in the battle to resist Greek cultural imperialism now comes at a time in the calendar when the cultural landscape is entirely dominated by Christian cultural imperialism by American cultural imperialism. I know now that Hanukkah will resist being swallowed whole. In fact, the tradition asks that menorahs be shown in windows and doorways precisely to proclaim Jewish identity and presence. Resistance is entirely the point of Hanukkah. And this point reframes my own childhood story of, quote, the wild Hanukkah bacchanalia more than a little. So while I'm not expecting the Maccabees to come knocking, I like to think that during a holiday when American Jews are challenged to declare their cultural identity and independence, we UUs can pause, lift up this source, one of our six sources of the Unitarian Universalist living tradition, 
We can explore and celebrate the many stories of Hanukkah and at least witness the little miracle of the spreading of the light. Just as one flame is not diminished when it ignites another, perhaps we can be inspired by these stories, protective of these stories, even the ones about dangerous ancestors, and know that sharing them does not diminish us or dim our own. We are here to bring light, candle to candle, menorah to menorah, year to year, an unbroken line back past a single jar of oil and on to the eternal light of faith, whose brightness overcomes the darkness. And that is the story of Hanukkah. For now, I'll give the final word to the Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, who wrote, quote, For though my faith is not yours, and your faith is not mine, if we are each free to light our own flame, together we can banish some of the darkness of the world. May our candles burn ever bright. Happy Hanukkah and amen. Thank you for listening. You are always welcome to join the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Come as you are. We look forward to meeting you. Visit us at uusg.org for more information about us, our worship services, and where you can find us on social media. Hope to see you soon.